Hello and welcome to Knowledge Engaged, the podcast of the University of Nottingham's Institute for Policy and Engagement. The Knowledge Engaged podcast is an opportunity to explore with our researchers the work they're doing and the difference it's making. I'm Stephen Meek, Director of the Institute, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Sabina Lavrenyuk. Sabina is a Nottingham Research Fellow in the School of Geography here at the University. She's a human geographer interested in the intimate geopolitics of gender, health and activism. And her research focuses on how this plays out in the global garment and footwear industry. And she's focused particularly on how this happens in Cambodia. And I want to talk uh, in particular today about a new research project that Sabina is involved in called the Refashion Study, which is looking at the impact of COVID-19 on these supply chains. Hello, Sabina. Hi, Stephen. Perhaps we can start by stepping back a little and ask you how you came to research this subject and perhaps to give us a bit of context about the garment industry and Cambodia's role in it. Sure. So Cambodia is actually a really fascinating place to to study the logics of what we call global value chains in geography. So I don't know how familiar you are with the context of Cambodia, but obviously one thing a lot of people know about is this history of Khmer Rouge and, and the yeah. civil war there that, that went on for you know a large part of the 70s, 80s. And then emerging from that civil war in the 1990s, Cambodia pursued a path to economic recovery that tried to emulate the regional development strategies of some of its kind of successful neighbours, focused around export-led development. So in Cambodia's case, it pursued the garment industry as as a path to really economic prosperity. Since that strategy was opted upon, Cambodia's, it's had really impressive rates of kind of macroeconomic recovery. So the growth rate in Cambodia for much of like the 1990s and the early 2000s reached double digit growth figures. So the garment industry has really contributed to what a lot of people describe to in Cambodia as a macroeconomic miracle. And the garment industry has really been central to a lot of this growth. So, you know, there were like a handful of factories in the early 1990s that's grown to nearly a thousand factories today. The garment industry accounts for something like 80% of Cambodia's merchandising exports, about 16% of Cambodia's GDP and 6% of Cambodia's working age employment. So the garment industry has been really crucial um, Mm -hmm. in Cambodia's economic recovery. And what's the sort of patterns of employment in the garment industry? Who, Who works in it? What can they expect to earn? So one of the things that you kind of first notice if you're in uh, Phnom Penh at a time the factories open or close is that a large proportion of the people working in the industry are women. Um, so around 80% of the workers are women. They usually come from very poor rural households. They often migrate to the city to find work in factories so that they can earn a little bit of money to send it home to their families to, to help their families in these kind of very poor rural areas. And initially, I think there were a lot of a lot of enthusiasm that factory employment might be a route to financial independence and empowerment for these women. But over time, we've seen concerns that actually factory employment and recruitment practices might be designed to kind of exploit some of women's vulnerabilities. One of the things we've seen, for example, is that throughout the period of Cambodia's economic boom, as growth rates in the industry have been rising and the garment industry have been contributing to this very rapid record of economic growth, real wages in the industry have actually been declining. So from 2000 till 2013, real wages in the industry were actually going down. Um, So women have actually been getting poorer and poorer as the industry has been contributing towards this kind of macroeconomic miracle. 
And how is it that you ended up looking into this as an issue? What was your journey to it? Um, so I actually did my master's degree in, at the Royal University of Phnom Penh in Cambodia. Uh, and when I was there, I was invited to work on a research project looking at uh, migration, natural resources, management and poverty. And so a lot of the work was focused on tracking the experiences of women who'd come to work from the villages, who'd come to work in the city and, and their kind of experiences of, of work and urban life. And that then developed into my PhD project, where I was looking more at kind of the experiences of, of, of inequality and, and, and consumption practices of, of these young women and their kind of independence in the city. And that's kind of segued then into work looking at trade union rights and now looking at health and safety rights. And yeah. So we've got a situation prior to COVID where the garment industry's vital part of the Cambodian economy, workforce and um, predominantly female and clearly sort of low paid. And as you say, actually, the, the, the real value of those wages has been dropping. What happens when COVID hits and where does refashion fit into all that? Yeah, so that's been one of Cambodia's challenges is that it has a very kind of lopsided and trade dependent economy. Mm. And of course, global production networks, these global supply chains themselves are quite precarious strands of infrastructure because Cambodia sits in the very middle of the supply chain. So all Cambodian factories do is what we call kind of cop make trim operations. So there's no capacity in Cambodia to make raw materials. So Cambodian factories import the raw material from elsewhere. Then the workers literally cut out the shape of the garment, stitch it back together, and then they trim it and pack it ready to kind of hang on retail shelves. So the share of value added there is already very low. And Cambodian factories are therefore in this kind of precarious situation in between. They, they rely on raw material imports from China and they rely on exports to the US and, and the UK and to Europe. So what you have at the time of COVID-19 is very unfortunate for, for Cambodia is a shock that occurred at kind of two ends of the supply chain. So first of all, with the initial outbreak in China, there were manufacturing shutdowns. Uh, there was a big fall in supply of raw materials. So already in February, March 2020, there'd been a big contraction in supply and that was already putting a lot of women out of work in Cambodia. By March, there were hopes that this was going to have been uh, resolved. But of course, we all know what happened next. And the virus kind of took hold around the world. Something like 50% of Cambodia's products go to the UK and the US. And obviously, once the pandemic took hold there, there was a huge fall in retail demand. So we now know that 2020 was kind of the worst year on record for retail um, in the UK. And of course, these kind of images of empty high streets have been one of really the defining images of the pandemic. And, and as of course, you know, we were told to stay at home. Uh, as we stop going out, we stop going into work, we stop buying clothes. So all of that has had a kind of huge knock on impact on demand and on the availability of work for women uh, in Cambodia. And I was actually there in Cambodia in February and March last year when the pandemic took hold and I was kind of able to kind of understand some of the early impacts that were ongoing. So from those kind of early initial observations and experiences I've worked to put together this research project with a team of researchers in the UK and Cambodia tracking the impacts on women workers. And what is it that you found so far? I mean, I think the project began in September last year, didn't it? Yeah, so we got the funding a little bit earlier than that, but we've really been doing field work since September 2020. So we've been using mixed methods to kind of try and track and amplify women's experiences through the pandemic. So we're following 200 women workers using longitudinal methods. So we have a survey that's repeated at regular intervals. And we also do kind of um, qualitative interviews with women workers to try and find in a lot more detail what their experiences of the pandemic have been. 
obviously one of the, the main impacts has been an overall reduction in the availability of work. So as supply and demand have contracted, it's pushed huge numbers of women out of work. Um, so in already by June 2020, when we started to think about the project, uh, something like up to third or half of the entire government sector workforce had experienced suspensions of their contract or had been made permanently unemployed. So these are kind of huge numbers. And obviously, what a reduction in the availability of work means is a reduction in, in income. So I think on average now across our sample between January and October 2020, workers had been experiencing a 25% drop in their income levels. Um, and these are kind of uh, workers who are already in a very precarious position. You know, the minimum wage is often not enough to meet reproduction needs. So, of course, faced with this huge drop in incomes, when we're asking women, you know, how are they coping with less money? We've seen kind of two key things, really, that workers are borrowing, relying on debt to finance consumption, but also that for those who can no longer borrow because their financial situation is not one in which they're a great person to lend to, women are actually having to cut back on basic necessities, especially around things like food. So one of the indirect impacts has been a huge rise in food insecurity among the workers that we're talking to. Right. Gosh. So uh, and has that I mean, as obviously demand sort of picked up elsewhere in the world and, and so forth, has that has there been any recovery that noticeable in, in, in the industry since? Well, so demand hasn't really recovered yet. I mean, right. um, of course, when we set out in September 2020, we did wonder, you know, what will the long term impacts of this be? And it's one of the reasons that we've kind of set up the study on a longitudinal axis to kind mm. of consider the impacts over time. But we haven't really seen a huge pickup in retail demand yet because, of course, in the UK, uh, in Europe, we've had these effects of rolling lockdowns. So that's having a continued impact on the yeah. sector. Uh, And now we're also faced with a situation in which a recovery maybe in the summer of 2021 looks maybe likely. But what a lot of brands have done is they've stockpiled goods from last year and that's for sale now. So there's still a huge shortage of demand in Cambodia. Right. Gosh. So as well as finding out all this information about what is going on through the refashion project, I'd be really interested to know what it is you're doing with that information locally on the ground with Cambodia to help those people who who are obviously going through a pretty tough time at the moment. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that we did really at the outset of the project was to think about who the different you know stakeholders of the garment industry in Cambodia are and, and think about who we kind of would like to work with to you know achieve the the changes that we that, that, that are needed so we thought about various members of kind of government organizations um, industry representatives from like manufacturers you know global brands and and suppliers industry regulators like the ILOs and um, better factories program in Cambodia which monitors um, conditions in factories and basically invited all of those to meet and to find out what demand for information there was So we could try to design the project to kind of respond to those gaps. And obviously, one of the things that we've learned is that in a kind of an emergency like the pandemic, um, there's a huge demand for information Mm -hmm. um, because really the capacity in Cambodia to kind of collect information on the ground is, is very limited. And one of the things I think that's been challenging for us to adapt to is the need to kind of provide ongoing information. So when we usually design research projects, we usually design them with some kind of dissemination at the at the end, at the end. Um, yeah. a project report, a project exhibition that attempts to kind of synthesize the findings and, and present them, you know, with a coherent narrative towards policymakers. Uh, and what we're finding, you know, 
as this is kind of an, an unfolding crisis and an unfolding emergency, is that there's a kind of a need for uh, information to be much more immediate uh, and to respond to those uh, needs. So what we're actually attempting to do now is synthesise the information that we have in, and distill it into a series of very short policy briefs that focuses on different kind of thematic areas like food insecurity, like microfinance debt, like working conditions and social protection, so that we can kind of get that in an accessible and easy to digest mm-hmm. form to relevant policymakers. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, the demand for the real time output of your work as yeah. opposed to, you know, you go away and come back and tell us in a couple of years what's going on. Um, what have people, I mean, it may be too early to say, but what, what, what have people done with the information that you've been providing? What difference has it made so far? Yeah, so so our research approach centres women's participation in decision making um, mm. as very critical to this idea of stitching back better, more just and reliable supply chains. You know, what we're trying to emphasise is that if we want to kind of make a world of work that responds to kind of the needs of women workers, then we need to listen to uh, and learn from women workers. So we've given a lot of thought as well into how we can best communicate women's stories and how we can mm. amplify those experiences. And so one of the things that we're kind of really proud of that we've done with this study is worked with a lot of independent women's media organisations in Cambodia. So together with the Women's Media Centre of Cambodia, we've been hosting um, a series of radio phone-in shows where women workers uh, can call in to discuss problems uh, and share uh, concerns with invited studio guests. So the guests have included people from trade unions uh, and from government line ministries. So one of the big concerns that workers have been having is around the transmissibility of COVID-19 in garment factories Mm -hmm. in Cambodia. Now, for much of the early period of the pandemic, uh, COVID-19 rather has been uh, an economic crisis in Cambodia rather than a health one because they've managed to keep rates of COVID very low through quarantining procedures of incoming arrivals. But in the later part of the pandemic, since in Cambodia around February, rates of COVID-19 have been creeping up in Cambodia and the garment industry has been kind of emerging as uh, as an epicentre of the epidemic because, of course, workers work on tightly packed production yeah. lines and they live in very dense urban quarters. So it's been fantastic to be able to have that platform where workers can kind of put those concerns directly to policymakers. So there's that these are both at the same time sort of producing content for your research, but it's also a form of sort of mutual, sort of almost mutual support or learning for the women affected as well. It's a Absolutely. means of them getting their voice heard directly by policymakers. So we've been able to kind of learn from stakeholders, the trade unions and, and from uh, government line ministries about their kind of understandings and, and, and their responses to the pandemic. We've been able to learn from women callers about what their concerns and problems are. And that's kind of broadened our understanding mm. of the experiences beyond the 200 or so women that we include in our sample. But, yeah, being able to directly connect women and policymakers is a central aim of what we would like to do. So, yeah, it, it's yeah. achieving that. That's brilliant. So, I mean, I'm just reflecting back on the project, which is obviously in early days, but also obviously making a difference already. But reflecting back on the project, what are the what is there anything that surprised you or, or that you're most proud of from it? So this idea of, you know, trying to amplify workers' voices is something that we've been very keen to embed. Mm-hmm. And our kind of collaboration with Women's Media Centre is obviously quite a, a unique opportunity that the project's given us but we've also come up with other ways of kind of pursuing innovative 
kind of action-oriented research that works with workers groups. So one of the other commissions that we've been working on, or collaborations that we've been working on rather, is with an organisation called Messenger Band, which might sound unusual, but they are a girl band of former garment workers who use the medium of songwriting to deliver advocacy on women's rights and on labour rights in Cambodia. So what we're currently in the process of working through now with them is a process of kind of collaborative songwriting and music video development so that, again, it's a really innovative way of workers' experiences to be communicated directly to policymakers, kind of cutting out us as kind of research middlemen and hearing about the challenges of being a garment worker in this very workers' own voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's really interesting and and yeah, not quite what you expect from a research project. <laughs> yeah. Sabina, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and telling us about um, the work of Refashion, um, which is absolutely fascinating and, you know, really important work. I'd also like to thank everyone who's been listening to the podcast. If you want to find out more about Refashion, there'll be links to their website on the notes to the show. You'll also be able to find out more about the Institute there too. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sabina. Thank you.